Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tigers Down Under uh, football flashbacks or um, the decade that was the 2010s. Um, I'm your host, as always, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Evening, Alex. Yeah, um, I'm doing well. It's uh, good to see you and obviously we find ourselves in the midst of another lockdown, so interesting times, but um, you know, at least there's been a lot of football to watch. Yeah, absolutely. You have to excuse the uh, scruffy appearance on my end. It is uh, sort of the the result of the uh, the lockdown. It's the the longer rough hair and and the beard starting to grow out as well. Where it's funny, we um we signed off for the season, sort of wishing everyone in England well because they were sort of going through um, another wave or they were going through a few issues of their own, and and we were seemingly sitting here pretty uh, high and dry in Australia, but um, it's all sort of flipped on its head at the moment, especially in New South Wales. So. It's going to be very interesting uh, next month or so, I suspect. But, uh, yeah, look, we've had a lot of football to watch in the meantime and then uh, the new season's certainly around the corner as well. But, look, you know, we're here today to do another episode of our flashback series. So we haven't done one of these in a while. We thought this would be a good uh, sort of precursor to the season resuming and, you know, Euros are over now. It gives everyone something to, to think about or talk about whilst we're, whilst we're waiting for the real stuff to begin again. Um, so I will uh, bring up our slides for today. And it, it is it is the Barmby Army. So it's the 2010s. It was the era where, you know, Nick Barmby uh, was the manager or the, um, I guess you'd say, he was, he was caretaker for a while. I think he did become the official manager as the season wore on um, of the side after um, after Nigel Pearson left uh, to go back to managing Leicester. What, what are your sort of overriding memories of that second half of that season? Yeah, I think the overriding memory still to me was the, uh, and I think we spoke about it last time, was the contentious uh, time period where Nigel Pearson kind of uh, was, was questioned about whether he was leave, leaving, denied it, and um, it was a very abrupt uh, departure. And so it was kind of left in, um, well, the, I guess the future or immediate future with City uh, was left up in the air. And then, uh, you know, the news came through that Barmby was taking over, which I think being a, a fan favourite kind of filled us with a lot of optimism and hope. But um, I do remember that it was interesting because I think he had to kind of deregister um, as, yeah. a, as a player, which was kind of uh, one of those, I can imagine for someone like Nick Barbie, who, you know, was with all due respect, was coming was certainly at the tail end of his career uh, to, to have a really uh, quick uh, shift and, and have to morph into a manager uh, role, which he certainly hadn't done, and uh, much less among his peers as well and, and teammates. So um, it was extremely interesting. But then obviously uh, when he spearheaded the, the victory over Nigel Pearson, it was a, a very, very important grudge match. And um, just the, the manner that it came with the uh, near the – it was a very late winner from Robert Corrin, I believe. Um, yeah. Fantastic way, but uh, I know that we fizzled towards the end of the season. But that that uh, game still stands out as as one of the the better city fixtures that I think I've um, that I've seen in in my time being a, a city fan. Yeah, it's certainly interesting seeing how how good uh, how well Leicester are travelling now, and and just remembering back to this era, you know, just about exactly ten years ago now, where um, things were very different, and and it, there was a real grudge between Leicester and Hull. I mean, the Alums didn't want to sell Leicester any of our players. Uh, there was all that talk about Cameron Stewart going there and they wouldn't accept a million pounds just for his left foot or um, or however the quote goes. But, you know, with mm -hmm. Pearson coming here and then Pearson going back and, and everything else that went with it, um, it was certainly a bit of a rivalry there for a little while, um, certainly, with uh, with Leicester. Um, 
I'm of course wearing the Bambi Army shirts that were very a very limited run of uh, shirts from that season, which was um, quite remarkable that there was such a um, a groundswell of support behind a uh, player manager at the time. I guess it was, it's still mm-hmm. quite a unique feature in football. I think it was mm-hmm. our first player manager since Warren Joyce, and like I know you're talking about him you know, sort of deregistering as a player, but um, I know at least from my end there was still some hope that he'd maybe play a game or two as as the player manager, but. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I mean, look, in hindsight, it was basically accepting that job was him accepting his career as a player was over, which um, was a pretty remarkable career for him as a as a player. So um, a bit of a sad way for it to end for him. Yeah, it certainly was. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the fact that he had, as I said before, had such a, a firm affiliation um, with the with the fans, uh, it was one of those bittersweet moments where there was an excitement about him stepping into the manager role because you knew that he cared. Um and I mean, I guess you can even uh, look at the the dust up that he had with um, with Jimmy Bullard, and, and there's so many moments what uh, kind of really endeared himself to to the whole faithful. So, yeah, losing him as a player was one thing, but getting him as a manager still was kind of uh, yeah, you, you were sort of unsure about how you felt about it, but it was it was kind of a um, a very heartwarming tale, I guess, if you will. Um, a question that I had for you, Alex, and I, I don't know if this is if this is out of line, but I, I remember how vicious that grudge match with Nigel Pearson was, and it, it felt so important to get one over him. Um, when I kind of reflect now, how do you feel about Nigel Pearson? Do you still kind mm. of hold any form of level of resentment towards him, or is it kind of water under the bridge quite quickly? Yeah, it's. I guess it's water under the bridge. I mean, I think is he at, he's at Bristol City now. I think so. In in technically speaking, we have sort of a return of Nigel Pearson to the KCOM or um, what's it called these days now? It's the MK something. Whatever. I forget what the new name is already. Um, I'm sure I remember it soon enough. But um, we got we got Nigel Pearson returning to to Hull for for a match this season, and and I don't necessarily look at that as something I've got penciled in the diary or anything like that. Um, I think he was a manager who was very, um, very dour and very stern with the media and with the supporters when they criticised his style of play or things like that. So I think it was easy to, um, to, to, to rub the supporters the wrong way, I guess. Um, so when he left, he was very easy to paint as the villain. But yeah, look, I think the success that we achieved the following season with Bruce, I think just means that it's, it's very much water under the bridge and I don't think there's too much uh, resentment or anything like that towards Pearson at this stage, especially. I mean, for me, it's almost the, the, the more frustrating element with Pearson was, was a couple of seasons later in the Premier League when he, his Leicester went on the run that essentially relegated us um, under Bruce. So that, that was probably the more painful point. Yeah, that's right. The, the great escape. And I think it's, it's scary doing this uh, flashback show now and thinking that it's, you know, we're in 2021. We're talking about yeah. a game a decade ago yeah no exactly it's uh time flies and that's exactly why we've uh decided to do this series because it's uh just remarkable that you know i've got such clear memories of a lot of these games and a lot of these uh periods of time and and it's it's a bit crazy to think just quite how long ago they were yeah Um, absolutely yeah um but we'll so we'll move on so that was sort of the context around the season we'll look at some of the players uh who came into the club and left the club at the time um and at the time, there was uh, uh, not not too many departures in that January. I mean, we lost Martin Pusik, the sort of well-known, inverted commas, um, Austrian I think we had on the books for a while. There was a couple of those sort of foreign players. And to this day, there's still those sorts of more obscure foreign players that float around the club, play a couple of games and then get released. Um, 
and he was certainly one of those. Um, but then we also had Paul McShane going out on loan to Palace, and and this was sort of that period of his career at City where he uh, he was probably a bit maligned by the supporters. He hadn't really settled in all that well, but it's sort of the start of this remarkable loan series of loan spells that he had before coming right back into the fold under Bruce and and really doing quite well. And I think that's what's so difficult about doing this this flashback show is thinking, you know, what we know happened in uh, in the following years. It's it's hard to actually reflect on this particular moment because when you think about Paul McShane, it's it's baffling to think at this period in time he was being passed around on on loan spells. Um, you know, we had uh, the likes of Jack Hobbs, who was was really the central figure, which we talked about um, in the in the last episode. We also had uh, Alex Bruce was floating around or about to float around. Um, I think he came in with Steve Bruce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and so Paul McShane was, you know, quickly found himself on on the outer, and um, you know, as you said, went on a went on a bit of a milk run as far as playing for, for various clubs, and then. You know, knowing what we know now is there was the the very famous period with the the, the don't sell McShane era, where um you know the the chant got started where there was going to be a right or you'd have a right on your hands if McShane was uh, sold in. Uh, he was just a an incredibly um class figure in 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 the city lineup, but but yeah, that certainly didn't uh, wasn't always the case, and it's it's fascinating to see just how good. Uh, and how promising his city career was, and I, I guess as we reflect on it and think about how many fond memories he provided us with, and you know, I guess arguably his greatest moment was was the goal in um, in the, the game to to get us up against Cardiff. Um, but it was just uh, it's, it's a remarkable that he didn't always uh, settle in at City. Yeah, um, and it's 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 one of those players where you almost think it's just remarkable that he was still at the club that. You know, you, you tend to see these sorts of players get loaned out time and time again, and then one of those loan spells goes well and they get sold. It's so, so rare that that player then actually comes back to the parent club and actually then has quite a successful end of his career at that club. And and let's not forget that also, like, we're talking about Paul McShane at this, at this period of time was in the championship. Um, mm-hmm. his, his fondest memories for, for City were, uh, you know, not only getting us promoted, but I do believe that um, under Bruce in the Premier League, he was part of the back three when we played that system. It was uh, Curtis Davies, uh, Paul McShane and Alex Bruce were, were quite yeah. often or regularly our, our back three. And um, I think that speaks, you know, volumes as, as far as the confidence that, that Steve Bruce held in him. Um, and yeah, for him to not only keep his spot, but also to be able to perform at in the top flight, really just speaks to that the heights that he really did reach in his career. Definitely, and and look, you know, also pictured we've got Cameron Stewart. We did talk already about that that sort of transfer saga with Leicester, and it is a real shame, sort of reflecting on Cameron Stewart, who I think is now, you know, well out of football. I think he's 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 currently employed doing something else, but. It's just such a shame when you look at players like that with the, the level of talent that he had and the way that he played for us, particularly in that season, um, mm. to the extent that Leicester wanted to shell out a million pounds for him, which at the time was a pretty significant fee for a championship player. Um, it's just such a shame that it was one of those instances. I don't, I don't know if his head maybe got turned in the transfer saga and then everything kind of fell apart or they weren't really related to each other, but it, it seemed to go quite downhill for him from that point on, um, which, is, which is quite a shame. Well, Alex, if you'll remember these these dark days in uh, in, in I guess an Australian fandom of, of supporting City, where uh, you know we were forced to listen to a lot of these games um, mm. on radio. 
uh, that was the only access that we had. Uh, but obviously, if you subscribe to the the website, you get the the Tigers player, and the highlights packages would come out about two days after the game. And uh, just my fondest memories were just seeing highlights packages of Cameron Stewart just cutting defenders apart, and there was almost like. Uh, highlights packages that were pretty much five or six of his, you know, blistering runs. Um, <laughs> and it was fascinating to just go, we had a, a, an incredible player on our hands and yeah, yeah was, he was such a, a showpiece and, and was so highly regarded. But you, you spoke, uh, well, we've spoken before about the, um, I, I think you mentioned it with us, with Steve Bruce um, making comments about how, as you said, when he was uh, a questionable player, as to uh, one million pounds wouldn't buy his left peg or whatever it was. But I also remember um, he's also part uh, part Scottish or had had some other um, heritage, Northern was Irish a, or something, maybe. Yeah, but there was there was some contention as to whether he should, um, you know, declare himself um, uh, as, as far as a who would represent whether he pledged his allegiance to, to England or um, whatever that other country was. And I remember that he was advised at the time to, you know, to, to bank on representing England that, you know, mm. don't, don't sell yourself short type thing. And that, that's an incredible, um, you know, line of thinking when we consider uh, where his career ended up and it just kind of alludes to the, the promise that he did show and I guess the plaudits that he was receiving. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, um, yeah, it's a shame, as we said before, it's a shame that the career didn't work out for him, but he was certainly uh, central that that January to transfer dealings. Um, There's a couple of familiar players that came into the club as well on loan. Uh, We got in Josh King from Manchester United and uh, Vito Minoni from Arsenal, both Mm. players that have gone on to play quite a bit of time in the Premier League. Josh King still there now with Watford, uh, having previous spells at Everton and Bournemouth. Amanoni with uh, Arsenal and then Sunderland. Um, two players. I, I thought Manoni when he came in online for us, was actually quite good from memory. Um, he was one of those lone keepers that we sort of rotated through. But compared to Galashki, for instance, he seemed to have a much better time of it with us. And um, weirdly enough, it was the opposite with Josh King. I just didn't think I don't have any strong memories of him playing particularly well for us. And he's gone on to do fantastic things elsewhere. Yeah, I think the uh, the promise that I remember with Josh King was he was incredibly fast. I, I don't think he was uh, mm. afforded as much minutes as as perhaps we expected. I do remember him being more of a role player than a, a kind of a, a, a lock. Um, but yeah, like you said, he he really flourished. Like the attributes always there. Um, I remember him being spoken about as being fast and you know a big a big presence with uh, with a lot of power. And he certainly showed that and showed it in glimpses, but. Yeah, to see where he ended up. Uh, obviously, the uh, differing to to Cambridge Stewart um, when he came came with such high praise, he, he probably went on and um, and proved that a little bit more and had the, I guess, uh, a closer career to what was expected of him. And I, yeah. I agree, Vito Minone himself was was a fantastic keeper for us, and I remember the confidence. Um, he was an incredibly loud keeper. Like you, I remember watching him a few times over at the games and just hearing him scream. He was very animated, and um, yeah, he's certainly, as you said, when you compare him to some of the other loan keepers that we did did bring in, uh, he's certainly one of the more prominent ones that I have far fonder memories of. A fun, a fun. Um memory on Facebook popped up the other day of, of uh, myself and an, an Arsenal supporting friend from 2012, it must have been, where I was sort of trying to make the case that Manoni was actually a keeper that should should have a future at Arsenal. 
And at the time, my friend was sort of suggesting that this new keeper that they'd brought in, uh, Martinez, might be a better prospect for them. And and at the time, I'd never really heard of this kid. And, and obviously, the context being now seeing Martinez at Villa, having had a short stint at Arsenal towards the end of his time at that club, uh, it was just funny sort of seeing that, I mean, that's probably more of a story about Martinez and his time at Arsenal, but it was funny sort of seeing that, you know, the trajectory that, that these keepers can go on, that Manoni, as a promising young keeper at Arsenal, didn't get that chance and, and has sort of fallen off into the wilderness. I'm not actually quite sure where he's ended up these days, but I mean, he's probably most well known for his spell with Sunderland in the Premier League, mm. but um, um, yeah, a bit of a shame for him as well. Um, well, look, we'll also talk about the games from the season. You've sort of already touched on that Leicester game against Pearson as being one of the big ones. Um, and the, the player pictured there as well as a significant departure at the end of the season was Garcia, um, who played his final game at the end of that season against West Ham, um, which I think we lost uh, 2-1, where I think he was denied an offside goal, um, which would have been a great send-off for him. But um, look, yeah, you know, there was quite a few decent games that season and and we sort of touched on before that the fact that we went on that quite a good run of games under um, Barmby. I think it was 11 undefeated from um, January to March, which, you know, you have to think, I mean, we were sort of building quite a good squad over that season and the season before from the Alums investment. And, um, you know, we we're playing reasonably attractive football under Barmby. We were starting to dare to dream that we could actually finish in the playoffs. And I think we sort of flirted with the playoff places uh, in that March period. Um, but then sort of lost five games in a row and it all fell apart. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I guess my my sort of memory of that time was going into January, and, and it's sort of a familiar story in recent years as well, going into January with that sort of sense of optimism and then not a whole lot of investment being made in, in January to strengthen the squad and, and everything just sort of running out of steam in the second half of the season. But, look, we certainly started quite strongly under, under Barmby, that 2-0 win against Derby on his first game in charge and then beating Leicester 2-1 um, against Pearson to get revenge as well. But two, probably the most memorable wins that I have from that that section of the season. But, um, yeah, w- what were your thoughts on on the games and, and how we finished that season? I mean, we've sort of touched on it already. Yeah, I, I guess going, going back now and, and looking at the the results is kind of triggering my, my memory. But <laughs> we had that horrible period in March, I think, that um, that really kind of set us out of contention. But before that, I think we was, it was something like five losses in a row um, in March. Mm. But before that, I always remember that season as being... Um, like when you when you go back into the championship and you feel like uh, you know you're kind of starting to lose hope, you see the squad uh, squad rebuild. I remember being surprised at the prospect of how we may be getting promoted again, and only through the vehicle of the playoffs. But I, I certainly didn't feel uh, like it was you know a bridge too far until we had that really dull period. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of frustrating because I remember kind of sitting around seventh and eighth and just snapping at the heels, and you would win a couple of games and put yourself right back in the mix and then you would lose those games that were kind of uh, you, you're expecting to win or hopeful that you would win, I uh, suspect. Um, and then we went on a, a pretty good run right at the end, but it was um, kind of a, a bridge too far. But I guess the, the thing that we haven't really talked about um, here is, is still just how prolific Matty Fry was. Like that. I was, Yeah, I was just going to touch on that. Yeah, I was just to having me, a look I, at his. Just, just going back and, and seeing the role that, that he played, I, I do remember. Like it almost felt like if if we if we played Matt Fry, Matty Fry, it was almost averaging a goal a game. Or if we were going to score, he seemed the most likely. Obviously, um, Corin chipped in uh, quite a lot, and I remember he got uh, quite renowned for for scoring late. Um, 
because I do remember a run of uh, city shirts that you could buy from the the Tigers uh, Tigers Leisure, which was keep calm and pass the current. Yeah, uh, and I actually remember looking at a, a photo of me wearing that when I was, you know, t- ten years younger, looking looking a lot more fresh than than uh, my weathered self these days. But it just, uh, uh, yeah, the fun, fun memories of um, you know of of being a competitive side, and I mm. guess that excitement of the championship was you really didn't know what you were going to get with this team there wasn't a huge kind of um you know dose of class but at the same time we were competitive and i think that um you know that's what kept watching and listening to games at that stage um you know so exciting for us yeah and look and i think it's a really apt time for us to be doing this episode because i would like to think that this coming season is going to be very much a similar sort of vibe where this this was a team that had essentially come from the brink of relegation to the championship and granted this 21-22 team has just come from League One um, but they're both both sides that have started to be built and be gelled together and younger players coming together and, and, and really starting to get some good synergies in the team whereas you say we've been so used to or, or at the time we've been so used to those those that kind of that that poor season in the Premier League then the poor season in the championship and what that would then mean for the side um, to suddenly actually have hope that we could actually get back up to the Premier League, and yes, we and ultimately finished eighth. Um, but the following season showed just how how close we were to to unlocking that potential. Um, it was a really exciting end to the season, and and really sort of filled the supporters with hope again. Um, it wasn't so much about looking down the table at, at what could lie below us, but actually start to look back up the table and and start to to have a bit more ambition. So, um, yeah, look, it was a really I think. This, this half of the season was really that impetus that showed us that, you know, as you said, we had Corrin and Fryat scoring goals and, and firing on all cylinders. And, you know, it was a real shame, really, that Fryat, from memory, was injured for most of the following season, if I'm not wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we ended up having Jay Simpson and, and, and Sonia Luco as the main main options for most of that season. But it just showed the potential in the squad and and a lot of um, a lot of the opportunity that we would have that we would then show the following season. Yeah, certainly, and I'm mean, looking looking back at the the playing uh, roster that we had as well. There's still players like Liam Rosinha and James Chester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some incredible players that we did have on the books that were probably at the the beginning of their career. Not Rosinha so much, but certainly James Chester. But uh, you know, we got to see the um, I, I guess the birth of of a, of a really um, promising young side. Um, Robbie Brady as well. Robbie Brady as well. So there were some incredibly good signings, and we did talk uh, last podcast now about the the relationship that we did have with the um, with the Manchester United reserves team mm. um, I, to a point where I do remember a, a mock up of um, of the Hull City logo being uh, made <laughs> a Manchester United reserves team as well. But um, yeah, there was there's some really astute signings, and and as you said, we we know looking back at this historically how important this season was in the I guess in the the five year plan or um, yeah, longer term plan that we did have at City, and um, you know, we, we did go on to to far more promising things. But yeah, it's just a, it's such an interesting season. Uh, Thomas Canny as well. Um, you know, we look at him and what, what he's moved on to to be, and this was the origins of of his uh, you know first experience with with top flight football. Yeah, certainly. And then look, it's interesting, sort of with the sliding doors. We've got this man pictured as Richard Garcia being the the player that was so involved in the two thousand and eight promotion push and. I mean, aside from McShane, he was probably one of the last ones to leave from that that kind of core group. Um, Bambi, of course, going into the management um, and therefore moving out of the playing roster. But it was sort of that sliding doors where it was almost the end of the old guard. And 
the, the the sort of rejuvenation of the squad that had happened that season and then continued the following season was really what then brought about our next promotion to the Premier League. So um, in that sense, and I mean, look, you know, it's also interesting just to think that it's one of the few seasons from the decade where, you know, it was stability in, in, in the sense that the season prior we'd played in the championship and the season following we played in the championship. There weren't many seasons that decade where, we either didn't hadn't just suffered a relegation from the Premier League, or we weren't just about to be promoted to the Premier League. So, having that stability of being able to turn over the squad in a sort of a reason balanced sort of way, and, and not having to chop and change too much as well, was um, was interesting to see. And um, yeah, you know, the, the building blocks were there for that promotion push the following season. Yeah, and, and probably an exciting period as well. Going back and looking at some of the the score lines as well on this this season, I know that. You know, one of the biggest criticisms that we we did have of, have of Steve Bruce uh, in the in the following seasons, or that that did come about, was we got so so tired of seeing the boring you know one nil score lines, and there was a real um you know I guess resilience or resoluteness to the way he set up his team, and it didn't always translate to you know attacking flair in the in the form of football. But just looking at these, there's some incredible blowout scores as well. Um, there are lots of goals scored for and, and then many goals scored against as well. I mean, there is a period of, of, of one nils as well, but there was such an unpredictability about this this side that that did make it exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, it's been a been a nice trip down memory lane to that season. And I think um, the following couple of seasons will certainly be interesting to revisit as well with the Steve Bruce era. And I guess it's sort of the more, the more mainstream era, I guess, of uh, City from the last decade. I guess there's a lot of... Uh, focus and awareness around the Steve Bruce era with a lot of good memories as well with the, you know, the FA Cup final, the jaunt into Europe um, and everything else that came with it. So, look, we've got all that to look forward to as well. But, um, look, you know, thank you for joining me for this one, Logan. My pleasure. It, uh, it made me feel extremely old. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That, that realisation that this uh, that this uh, Nick Barmby era was uh, just about 10 years ago is certainly... Um, eye-opening and um yeah makes me makes me feel pretty old as well but look you know it was a good a good way to uh to get through a bit of time in lockdown and hopefully for everyone over in the uk it's a good way to recover from uh from the disappointing defeat of england in the euros final and um something that we can you know sink our teeth into as we look forward to the coming season for city as well so um yeah sorry were you gonna say something no, I was just, uh, you know, it was uh, on, a, on a side note, it was, I know that we sometimes romanticise too much about the the former City players, but it was exciting to see Harry Maguire uh, play the way that oh, he yeah. did in, in the Euros as well. And and obviously he even uh, found himself in the in the, the team of the tournament as well. So, you know, I, I guess a, a very friendly and kind shout out to him. It was it was great to see him. And, you know, it, it probably speaks to the, the history of the club and, and some of the quality that, that City have produced in recent years. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and he broke the camera in the goal for his penalty, which uh, was good to see as well. It's a good uh, was a good effort from him as well. But yeah, no, look, um, it was a great episode. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to this. It was available um, for the first week on our Patreon, so that is we, we are going to try and keep that running for this season. So we do encourage if you are able to join our Patreon and support us in any way possible, that would be much appreciated. It, it would all go towards the. Um, the streaming and the production of these episodes so um, means a lot to us but look if you're just listening on um, Spotify or watching on YouTube if you can leave us a thumbs up or a comment give us your thoughts what what, what did this season mean to you what did Nick Barmby's reign as city manager mean to you uh, did you think that that you know brighter things were to come with promotion did you think um, 
we were just sort of stuck in the championship with, uh, you know, that sort of management or, or what, whatever your thoughts were. We're always welcome to hear what from did, you guys. What did we well. miss? I'm, I'm sure there's some some really crucial moments in this year as well that we... Yeah. yeah. What, what, what moments have we forgotten to talk about? Absolutely. Let us know as well. But look, until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back